0: for our convenience in the Bible until much later, 1560, in fact, in, in the Geneva Bible. And uh, what, the, what they did when they added the chapters and the verses is they, 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 uh, they tried to keep the way that the texts were broken up in the manuscript, so that we would get a sense of, of how, they, how the author's thoughts were organized, all right? So with that said, hold on tight because we're going to read all these verses now. And then I'm going to do my best to help us understand what God would have us know. So if you would join me in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I apologize to those of you that don't have a Bible with you and are having to read that microscopic print in your bulletin. All the more reason to bring your Bible with you to church next Sunday, right? But uh, bear with me. Here we go. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. If you see in a province. The oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats a little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owners to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go, and what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, and much vexation, and sickness, and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil, with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years, twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool, and what does the poor man have over who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him? under the sun. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you again that we can gather together like this this morning. And uh, Father, we, I pray as we look at your word and as, as I begin to uh, preach from Ecclesiastes this morning, Lord, that you would move me out of the way, that you would speak to your people, that you would feed your sheep. And uh, God, that we would, we would hear your voice in your word, that it would be sweet to us. Our souls would delight in you to delight in your law, to delight in your word, to rejoice in our salvation. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Need a sip after reading all that. This is going to be a short sermon on a long text. I'm not one to uh, abbreviate a sermon. I, uh, I would stand here and preach all day if you let me. Because, I, you know, when I'm studying and preparing, there's just a lot of stuff that I get out of it that I realize I have to leave behind. And uh, as I was preparing this, this message uh, for this Sunday, I, I realized there's a lot I'm going to have to leave behind. Not just because it would take a lot of time, but because we can kind of miss the point, right? We can miss the forest for the trees if we get bogged down in too many de- details. So what struck me here that I hope strikes you is how Solomon keeps hiding this little gem in the midst of all the sadness and the pain and the futility he keeps pounding us with. It's the secret to a good life. It's the secret to a good life. He's pointing out the bad. He's making us take notice of it constantly in order to point us to the good. So we'll take notice of it. And the goodness that he points us to is, is that the only things that can truly be enjoyed in this life under the sun are these things he keeps describing as gifts from God. Remember how I said in the very beginning of the series, "Ecclesiastes is, is a dark, drab book? We can't really get around that, and there's no reason for us to apologize for it. It's, it's the way that it is, uh, but Remember, I also told you from the very beginning that there's great beauty in the book. And what Solomon does throughout is he he makes us take a look around at the tragedy of a fallen and broken world, and he points out to us that our our satisfaction, the satisfaction for the desires that we all have inside of us, they can't be found here under the sun. We recognize we have these desires. So that it points us to the reality that satisfaction for these desires does exist, but we can't find it if we're just looking down here. He sobers us up to that point. He puts us in our place. He makes us sit in the consequence of the fall and original sin. And he makes us look around and take stock of what our rebellion cost us. That's why it's so sad. It's the human story without God. Why does he put us through that? Why does he does he drag us through the mud in this book? Well, how bright would the stars appear were it not for the black backdrop of the night sky? Ecclesiastes is dark kind of drab, but don't miss the stars. What we have pop up here and, and back in chapter 2, verses 24, uh, chapter 3, verses 13 and 22, now here in chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, and then again later in chapter 8, verse 15, and again in chapter 9, verse 9, is what Solomon says he's been looking for, which is what is good for the children of man to do under the sun the few, during the few days of their life in the midst of all the trouble and all the pain and all the drama and the grief. All those verses say the same thing. Here's what's good for the children of man to do, to eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. Why? Because that is his lot. It is the gift that God has given him While he lives under the sun. How can we enjoy it? Fear God. Acknowledge it as a gift from God. You know, as a baby believer reading Ecclesiastes for the first time about 18 years ago, when I read the whole eat, drink, and be merry verses in Ecclesiastes, I was kind of confused, Yeah, I was like, isn't that a Dave Matthews song? And isn't he talking about something different? it sounded sounded kind of hedonistic, right? You know, isn't that what the world believes? Just indulge yourself because life is short? Is that what Solomon is saying here? Well, kind of. But here's the thing. Solomon has already shown us in earlier, earlier chapters of the book that trying to enjoy God's creation apart from acknowledging him as the one who made it and gave it to you doesn't lead to satisfaction. It leads to frustration. We saw the first time he said, eat and drink and find enjoyment in your toil. He says in the very next verse, this is chapter 2, verse 25, he says something about having stuff and not being able to enjoy it not having the capacity or ability to enjoy it, because God is the one who provides the stuff and the enjoyment of it. The stuff doesn't give you joy. God gives us the stuff and the joy. So how can we enjoy the little things in life? Fear God and recognize them for the gifts of God that they are. There are these little things that can be enjoyed under the sun if we enjoy them rightly i heard it put this way once it's like god gives your neighbor 10 cans of peaches and he gives you one and you're tempted to believe that he's received the greater blessing right but god gives you a can opener the other guy thinks he's got it made but really all he's got is frustration you know he 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 either bloodies his fingers trying to rip the can open or he ruins the peaches trying to smash it open with a rock. You have the ability to enjoy the little you have and savor every morsel because God has given you the ability to enjoy it. We've we've talked before about this, but the, the, the trick then becomes practicing contentment, doesn't it? And that's, that's come up a lot so far in the series. It's coming up again today. Recognizing what comes from the hand of God as a gift and being able to enjoy it for the gift that it is, that's the secret to a good life under the sun. So big text, short sermon. There's a misprint in your bulletin, by the way, and that's my fault. The title of today's sermon is not The Problem of Pain. We did that one already. The title of the sermon this morning is The Secret to a Good Life. And I've only got two points. The secret to a good life is contentment. The secret to a good life is the death of the only good man. And you say, well, that's that's, that's two secrets. No, because I think if we're tracking with Solomon, we can't have the former without the latter. I'm not sure you can have the former without the latter. Contentment in who Jesus is and what he has done for us is what allows us to be content with what we're given and to be content in our circumstances. You tracking with me? Is that like overstated? You buy that? You know, I mean, just because I say things doesn't make them true. But seriously, you don't think you can have contentment without it being given to you, do you? I mean, isn't that just something else we have to rely on God for? We can't even do that in our own strength, can we? So contentment is the secret to a good life. And the way we have contentment is by acknowledging and accepting that God is sovereign, that everything that we have is a gift from him. And even our ability to enjoy what has been given to us is given to us. Whether it's a lot or a little, it's a gift. The ability to enjoy the gift is a gift. We can be content with what we have when we're content with God's sovereign plan working out through all the course of human history. We can be content with what we have when we have an understanding of security and who Christ is and what, he is, what He's doing throughout human history, His, his redemptive purposes. And we can't know he has redemptive purposes. and We can't know that he has purposes for the pain, for the misery, for the grief that we all have witnessed and experienced ourselves unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to us and the Holy Spirit only reveals it to those for whom the sinless Savior died. So the secret to a good life is the death of the only good man. We'll go through all these verses now, but the, uh, the meat is kind of in the middle. So our concentration is going to be on verses 18 and 20, 18 through 20 rather. I'm going to read those again because I know I, I hit you with a big wave of, of words there a moment ago. So if you'll look back there at verse 18, it says, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. I love that last verse. Don't you? You know, again, this is going back to what I was saying before you know, don't miss the stars, don't get beat down and hammered with all the bad stuff he's taking us through, he, he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Don't miss it. He, he says this on the heels, right, of, of all of these other more bleak observations that are, are, are part and parcel of, of the whole book. You know, oppression and injustice are inevitable, verse 8. Uh, Greed is insatiable, verses 10 through 12. Whatever is not lost in a bad venture is going to be lost at death. You're going to lose all your stuff anyway, right? Verses 13 through 17. And now here, in these verses, he tells us what is good and fitting to do despite all that being the case. Eat, drink, and find enjoyment in your toil and the fruit of your labor, recognizing it has been given to you for you to enjoy. And God says he will not much remember the days of his life. We will not much remember the, the, all the stuff about God's plan that we don't really like and complain about because God keeps us occupied with joy in our hearts. He goes on right after that to, to say there, there are some that God gives wealth and possessions and honor to more so than the rest of us, perhaps, but he doesn't give them the ability to enjoy it, right? That's the, the 10 cans of peaches and no-can opener thing, right? He even lets some of what that person may have, all, all of these possessions and wealth, they don't have the ability to enjoy them, and then, in fact, as it turns out, they're given to somebody else for them to enjoy. And we've seen that happen before throughout the course of the book and in our own lives. And the other thing he gets here is you don't have to be rich to have satisfaction in your labor. Did you catch this? Th- this one's important. We've, you know, I was talking with somebody just before uh, the service started this morning about how we don't have to have this uber abundance in order to be generous with what God has given us. We don't have to make millions of dollars to be radically generous with the resources that God has given us, to bless other people. In the same way, we don't have to make loads of money in order to enjoy what it is that we do. I mean, who says? Uh, You know, I know this sounds silly. Uh, If you look at my Instagram account, you'll see motorcycles, guitars, cameras, and boots. I like boots. And there's this bootmaker in Southern California. And I think he's, I don't think he makes much money, y'all. But that man loves what he does more than anybody. I wish I, wish I knew five people who loved what they do as much as this guy does. He, he loves it. He puts his everything into it. The satisfaction we can have from our labor is not dependent upon the amount that we receive, but it's Dependent upon the grace of God who gives the work to be enjoyed. He grants satisfaction. And here's what's so cool. What's so cool is that he grants that satisfaction to the rich and to the poor alike. Again, because satisfaction can't be derived from the things themselves. We can't mine satisfaction out of our assets. It has to be given to us. The satisfaction has to be given to us. It is granted to us from on high. And here's the thing, too. Here's the connection I want you to make. If we recognize that we are rich in nothing but sin, but God, being rich in his mercy, chose to lavish us with his grace by sending his Son to die in our place, who knew no sin then we can see that however little we may think we have, we have everything we could ever want. More than anyone could ever want. That brings about contentment. And y'all, that's how Solomon says you get through the tough stuff of life. That's the secret. To live in a good life under the sun. We don't remember much about the days of our lives because God keeps us so occupied with joy in our hearts. If you look uh, at chapter 6, verse 3, you know, he said, this is what you're supposed to do, and now he's kind of looking at the consequence of not doing that. He talks about not being satisfied with the good things in life, and he's essentially saying that it's, that, that, that heart posture, that attitude is being discontent with God's provision. It's discontentment. He says, if a man was a 100... I'm sorry, if a man has a hundred children and lives a long life, but a soul isn't satisfied with the good things, these little things in life that we keep talking about, a stillborn child is better off than he is. That's strong language, isn't it? But you get the picture, don't you? I mean, you know, on the one hand, you've got this guy who, uh, who, who has uh, lives long days and has posterity, and then you've got this other guy over here, zero days, no posterity. And he says, if you can't enjoy the little things in life that God intends for you to enjoy, what's the point of being alive? That's what he's trying to show us there. In verse 12, he says, Who knows what is good for a man while he lives, the few days of his vain life which passes like a shadow? But he's already said it. You, you catching that? You know, you can kind of get on the seesaw when you read Ecclesiastes if you're not looking at a big picture all the time, all right? It, that's what I mean when I say he keeps hiding this little jimmy, He keeps squirreling away this little nut. That it, it's good to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun a few days of his life that God has given him. That's what's good for, for a man while he lives a few days of his life. He said it repeatedly, right? More than once. Solomon is not schizophrenic, y'all. Okay? He has not changed his mind. Remember what we're doing? We're borrowing a worldview. Remember we said that in the beginning? We're borrowing a worldview. We're going in and out of a glimpse at life and meaning apart from God. That's, that's the journey he's taken us on. And as we've gone through the book, we see if no God, no meaning. Right? If God, meaning. You know, there's, there's injustice and there's, there's suffering. If God, meaning. If no God, no meaning. Who cares? What difference does it make, right? But, okay, so then, then God, and, and, and there's also suffering. Well, if, that, if that's the case, then I've got some complaints about the way God's running the show. Solomon says, stop right there. We're, we're going to draw the line there, right? Solomon reminds us, no, 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 God is in heaven. You are on earth. You are finite. God is Eternal. You're a sinner. God God is holy. You brought the injustice and the pain and suffering into the world. God brought his son in redemption. So Solomon weaves in and out of a biblical worldview and a humanistic one. He's weaving in and out of a, a, a biblical worldview and a humanistic one so that we can see what both of those columns add up to. And just being real, just being honest, both of those columns have a lot of questions in them. We don't have all of our burning questions answered here in this life under the sun. But one of these columns brings contentment despite our many questions, and contentment continues to be heralded as the only way to get through life under the sun. None of us will make it out alive. Some of us, praise God, will make it out in peace. The secret to a good life is contentment, and so the secret to a good life is the death of the only good man. We're tempted to ask the question sometimes, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, we've talked about this in a previous sermon already. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know if any of y'all, I know some of you have, R.C. Sproul, Pastor, theologian, prolific author, uh, had a wonderful ministry. He died just a few years back. He had the best response to this common objection to Christianity, this, this big burning question that I've ever heard. Why do bad things happen to good people? Sproul says this that only happened once, and he volunteered. That only happened once, and he volunteered. The Lord Christ lived to be 30 years in change and never sinned. Not once. And and unless we think about that for more than five minutes, it's hard for us to imagine, like even wrap our head around that. We might say, well, yeah, you know, well, I mean, he was God, so of course he doesn't sin. Yeah, that's true. He's fully God. He's also fully man. Not 50 50. Fully God, fully man. Jesus was tempted. He knew temptation better than we do. How, how, how's that? Here's why. What happens when you're tempted? You cave in. And if you don't cave into that one, you're going to cave into this other one later on, and the temptation's going to be relieved. Jesus' temptation was never relieved. There was no relief. It just kept mounting up and mounting up and mounting up. And unlike the first Adam, and unlike all of us, he never caved in. He never gave in. And after resisting all that temptation, he willingly, he voluntarily went to the cross to suffer the wrath of God as if he had given in to every one of them. Whatever past sin comes to your mind, whatever embarrasses you most, that thing that you're most ashamed of that you know you should have never caved into, Jesus willingly took that on himself as if he was the one who committed that evil. Why? Why would he do that? Love. Undeserved unmerited, unprecedented, pure, everlasting,